Hello. Welcome to Why Not Both. My name is Pam Schaefer, and I'm a musician and therapist in Los Angeles. Why Not Both is all about how our multiple passions inform our identity. And this season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine and produced by Laura Studeris. If you like what you hear, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and come spend time with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, and that is both on Instagram and on Twitter. For this episode, we got to interview Maya, aka MXM Tune. She's not only phenomenally talented, but also incredibly thoughtful and articulate. And I must say, as a millennial, I'm definitely here for the Zoomers. I hope that you enjoyed this interview. Well, Maya, welcome to Why Not Both. Thank you so much for joining us. Of course. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole thesis of the podcast is basically people who do a bunch of different things. And I was so happy that I got to discover you and the multiple things that you do. (laughs) There's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Would you like to tell everyone about them? Well, okay. Let, where, do, where to begin? I mean, at the core of everything, it is all based around my music project, MXM Tune. Um, mm-hmm. But I would say that one of the reasons I really appreciate why I get to do what I do is because I, as an individual, Maya, really like to do a bunch of other things. So that includes being on social media, posting really <laughs> stupid content for people to watch on YouTube or TikTok or tweeting all the various thoughts that I have in my 19-year-old brain, which is ridiculous. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> And then also doing like visual arts. Like I've done an animated short film and we've done um, a comic book for the last album that I released and collaborating with other graphic designers for that stuff. And then um, doing Twitch streams where I play video games for my audience like three times a week, which is what I've been doing in quarantine so far. Oh my God, that's awesome. So just like a ton of different things. Um, Yeah, I mean, I was in a Taco Bell commercial. I don't know. I was like practicing my acting prowess over there. (laughs) So it's lots of different things. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so intrigued by the uh, the whole comic book and album concept because I worked on an app that I made music to stories that people then made art for. And so I love, love the intersection with music and visual art. I was like, tell me more about that. Oh my gosh. So I actually, funny story, my music project started out as a visual arts project when I was 11. And it was literally my first, my first Instagram account that was monitored by my parents. And like, (laughs) I had to come up with a username because I wanted to post my drawings to to the social media. And my dad came up with this idea that I should call myself MXM2. And so it stood for my initials, MXM2, Mm. and added and at the end so it would be cartoon and like it would be Maya's cartoons and so I was on Instagram and I got I think like 200 followers of people that were like what listening and watching That's what awesome. I was posting online as a middle schooler and <laughs> used that for everything including SoundCloud and YouTube and all these places that I was starting to post content on um, just as like an outlet for myself creatively as I was growing up. And at some point when I started making original music, it was just too late for me to change it. So the intersectionality between all the different things that I like to do, especially visual arts has always existed underneath this umbrella of what I do now. And I think it's really sweet that I can continue my wishes as an, of, of my 11 year old self wanting to be known for her visual arts or whatever, and now bring that into what I have managed to make a career out of, which is music, yeah. That's phenomenal. And I love that your parents helped you with that, but also it seems like you low-key secretly became internet famous. <laughs> I, yeah, they, they didn't know about the others. <laughs> I mean, 
no one, no one saw it coming in my family. I definitely kept a lot of what I was doing secret behind their backs until 2017. They knew about my one Instagram account. They did not know about my Vine account, my Twitter account, my Tumblr account, <laughs> my account until way later. And it was kind of like this process between the time of being 11 and 17 the six year period where I would sprinkle in some new information occasionally and be like, yeah, so there's this going on and yeah, da, 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 da. And music was kind of developing and they knew that I really enjoyed playing covers on, on SoundCloud and they knew mm-hmm. that I had that actually, but it was one of those things where you're not actively checking your child's like activity on this page because they're right. like, no one's listening to her. Like she's just posting for nobody into this void of the internet. And that <laughs> what I was doing for a very long time. It's like all of a sudden wasn't. And I woke up one morning and it, I, hit me that I had a thousand, thousands of people listening to what I was posting and um, press outlets were talking about me and, and uh, sharing my story with other people and making it more known. And, and I was sitting in my bed being like, well, my parents still don't know. I guess I really have to tell them now. And so I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Better you tell them than they open the paper and they're like, hold up, what? Exactly. That was my thought process. I was like, I cannot stand the idea of anyone else telling them before I get the chance to. So I have to, I have to open up about it now. Yeah. What was it like breaking it to your parents? It was really scary. I mean, I was a 17 year old kid and my parents are both educators they're both teachers. And so they have this thing that they have to tell all the families of the schools that they work at, where they're like, you make sure you monitor your children's access to the internet and you make sure that they're safe things on online and I was like kids would just run wild on the internet and had thousands of people that were all of a sudden listening to what I was doing and going against that entire mindset completely and my parents when I told them I was just worried that they were going to take it all away because I you know as a kid I was like I really hope that they they don't shut it down and I and they believe and trust that I'm being safe like I wasn't sure information. I was just, I still only go by Maya online and I've been doing this for two, two years. And I mean, it's just crazy. I, I basically, I had good practices and good habits of keeping myself safe online, but I didn't know if they would believe that. And so when I told them, they were just like, so taken aback because I picked it such a from them and I, they went into this like basically this deep dive of, of mxm tune online right after and they were google searching me on their computer in the kitchen and like I was just so mortified I had to run to my room and I was like you're about to check this out but you can't do it in front of me and it took me like a year and a half to get comfortable with them listening to my music even in front of my face oh <laughs> well and it's so funny because you like punked them but in like the most wholesome way possible I mean, like, no one expects their kid to walk into the kitchen one day and be like, hey, so uh, I have 10,000 SoundCloud followers and you should know about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's so funny that, like you said, that they're all about, like, monitor your kid on the internet and things like that. And it's so funny that your dad helped you come up with your name. My dad helped me come up with my first name, too, which was Plasma Girl was my first. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) because my name is Pam and I was like I want to go with euphoria girl this was like way before euphoria but my dad was like I don't know if people know what euphoria means Pam (laughs) feels good yeah Yeah, so we went with plasma girl and they like set me loose on the internet and that was I definitely did have to explain to them why I was friends with so many college students and it was because as a middle schooler I was trading songs with people oh my god that's so incredible I mean I 
I have a story about internet friends too. It's hilarious. You get connected with so many different people. And like, my parents did not know I was on Vine. And I was like, I had 2,000 followers on Vine. And for me, I thought that was my peak of internet fame. And like, I made a bunch of connections. I still, some of my closest friends I made over on Vine when it was still a thing. And like, I told my parents one day, this is so dumb looking back on it as like, (laughs) almost an adult being like, I'm going to hang out with my friend in in San Francisco. Like we're just going to go wander around San Francisco and go take the bus places. And I went to go meet up with some internet friends that I had met on Vine. And that's so dumb. I'm like thinking about it. I'm like, I really, stranger danger, Maya, stranger danger. Right. But like I had known them for six months already and I'd video chatted them. And so I knew that they were real people. Right. Right. Like, and that's, to me yeah I'm glad I'm safe and I'm not scarred by anything that's happened oh my god that's so funny that was exactly the same as when I went to tour like colleges I finally visited one of my friends that I would always trade like music with and we'd been talking at that point for years and my mom was with me on the college tours and she was convinced that like we were gonna just like die in this bookstore where we were meeting up with him (laughs) she's like this is how we go this is this is it and he's like I'm still friends with him he's like the sweetest guy and it was so funny because she's just like but he's from the internet. He's clearly, <laughs> this is all, this is all a plot. And I was like, no, no, we just like, we love trading songs back and forth. His name is Anthony. And she's like, yeah, sure it is. <laughs> it's so different. It's like, it's, it's totally very different cultural connections that you make with people socially nowadays. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so funny. And I think about, you know, I love that you're able to reach so many people with your songs too. Yeah. I mean, I never expected any of this to happen. I think I knew from a very young age that like one of the one things that I wanted to do with anything that I get to do in my life is hopefully have a positive impact on people. And like, I just feel very thankful to have this opportunity presented to me where I can do that through art. And I think I never, I, in my wildest dreams, never thought that being a creative would be something that I could fulfill on a career path. And like, I, it's, it's wild to me that I I can reach so many people with one song and so many people have resonated with my lyrics and I feel, I don't know, just incredibly grateful. It's, it's crazy. I still can't fully process <laughs> how many people are here. I am convinced, I tell people this all the time, that it's literally just my family and my grandpa's fan club down in Florida. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> They're all just like streaming you on Spotify silently at night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it. Listen to go to sleep and then that's it. Yeah. They're like, this was all a troll. <laughs> yep. What kind of messages do you get from people? Because I'm assuming you're interacting with a whole bunch of people now. I get all sorts of messages and I used to reply to every single one until it obviously got to a point where it was way too much information for me to take yeah. on as a individual. But I get a lot of messages because so many of the themes that I deal with in my songs are about mental health and mm-hmm. um, identity issues and as being a woman of color who is also bisexual and mm-hmm. young and trying to navigate the world and understand her own self. So much of my songs, I think, really resonate with a large group of individuals and young people in this world that are trying to do the same thing. And so I get a lot of messages from people being like, thank you so much for making the song. It really helped me understand my feelings or mm-hmm. thank you for making the song. And it feels like it's become a soundtrack for this portion of my life. And even though it was, it got me through a hard time, I can still listen to it and feel like I've grown from it or something like that. And just all these really sweet things. Cause I mean, I wrote music to deal with my own emotions and for now to have that same music and those same lyrics that were helping me get over I was dealing with as an individual do the same for people in a way that I never expected them to yeah it's it's crazy yeah (laughs) it's so weird how like the details of people's lives are always so different but kind of like the underlying emotions are often like the same 
(laughs) I mean, I think about that all the time. And I mean, I think that's my whole ideology behind making music and writing lyrics that are vulnerable. Some people ask me like, is that hard to do? Is, Is it hard to put yourself out there that way? And I think I've just, I came to this place with it where I was like, so much of the hard experiences that we go through as people remain so hidden and so confined. And if I can be one person that can share her experience openly and inspire other people to just at least see themselves reflected in some form of artwork, Mm -hmm. that's one of the most powerful things that I have access to as an individual. Yeah. I completely agree. Like exactly what you're saying about representation, because I was wondering if there were any media figures that inspired you. I was talking to another artist about this, that like, if you see yourself reflected in media, you're like, oh, I can be that person. But if you don't, then you kind of have to like, kind of like squish yourself into a different person. Exactly. I mean, I, growing up, I'm very thankful. I grew up in the Bay area where a lot of people were like me. And I also had family that were were helping me kind of navigate this, but it is funny. I'm like, I don't share any identifiers with my parents because one of them is a white dude and one of them is a Chinese woman. And so I've been always constantly stuck between worlds and feeling like I'm grappling between these binaries. And so growing up, I didn't really have pop culture figures to look up to. The closest would be Keanu Reeves because I mean, but he's in the matrix and I was not going to try. <laughs> You're like, I however was not in the matrix. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, I'm definitely not going to go to the matrix. And I, I knew myself. So growing up, there was no one really to look to. And, and very much a lot of those identity crisis that crises that I was dealing with and trying to navigate were really individual. And so I find myself in this really weird place right now where there's a lot of other people in the pop culture sphere that actually are similar to me. We have like Conan Gray, who's another mixed race Asian American artist and Biba Doobie or, or Mitski and all these different people that I think now can speak to the experiences that I had growing up, but I didn't have that growing up. So I can, I'm very lucky now to be able to be in a place where I can be that for others. And I think even though I may be sad about the fact that I didn't have someone to look up to while I was growing up, I think it's incredible now that we're in a landscape where there can be more types of individuals and more types of narratives that are accessible to a younger audience. Yeah. I completely, completely agree. And it's kind of funny. I have like a secret theory that we all kind of grow up to be the people that we wish were the people around us when we were growing up. So I'm like, you basically grew up to be your own Keanu Reeves. Oh my gosh. I'm, you know, Keanu Reeves is still a very distant figure. I would love to be like him one day, but yeah, I, I've fulfilled my own personal destiny. <laughs> amazing. He's so altruistic. I remember reading about him and I was just like, you're amazing. He's incredible. I mean, not to fangirl because I definitely am a Keanu Reeves fangirl, but like, <laughs> very I admire him a lot. I think he has come back from a lot of hardship and flourished from it. Yeah. <laughs> That's phenomenal. And like, I think about the fact, just like you said, that you have a white dude dad and then a Chinese mom. And I think about like my best friend from high school is Japanese and her husband is white Jewish and now they have a kiddo. Yeah, it's totally weird. I mean, my family's been grappling with this sort of thing where, you know, my brother, I'm very thankful I have a brother who shares a lot of the same, obviously the same identities as me. Mm -hmm. And like parents are aware that, you know, they can't understand my brother and I and our experience in the world the same way that we can't fully understand either of theirs. And so it's just like constant conversation about, you know, what are the similarities and what are the differences and and just how can we be supportive of one another? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that that's beautiful because I think that once I'm curious, like once my friend's son starts navigating the world, like what he's going to see. And also I'm totally going to show him your music. He, he's going through a Beatles phase right now. Um, He's two. (laughs) (laughs) But I was 
was just like, oh my God, he's going to love your music. I'm so glad I'm talking to you about this. I was like, I know exactly who to show your videos to. <laughs> I, that's so sweet. I have a ton of, so obviously being from my family, my family has tons of aunts, tons of uncles. I can get introduced to a new one every single time I have a family event. And like all of my tiny little cousins that are like two, three, and four, they all listen to my music and like listen to it for nap time. So it just like makes my heart so <laughs> listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> That's so sweet. I'm just like, yeah, I'm just like, his name is Henry. I was like, Henry's going to love you. I just know. <laughs> I hope Henry likes my music. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious. I was like, what music did you listen to then when you were, I was like, when you were two and three and four and going down for nap time? You know, I don't remember what I was two or three, but I <laughs> remember listening. I never listened to any music. That was something that I found way later on and with uh-huh. my own inspiration of music but what I listened to growing up was funk rap R&B and classical music that That's was literally the entire world I trained classically in violin and cello growing up and so mm-hmm. my mom lessons, and that was kind of my you know experience with Bach and Beethoven and and my grandpa would play vinyls of classical jazz and, and youth classical music and like I would go into the kitchen while my parents were cooking and they'd be listening to like salt and pepper and like oh my god Tribe called Quest and all these different artists and just my whole entire music world was so the opposite of everything that I'm doing now. <laughs> That's a fascinating intersection. It's almost like you had to like kind of learn all these different styles of music in your head and then be like, I'm gonna toss them out and do something completely new. I mean, yeah, I knew that I couldn't make any of the music I was listening to, so I found my own way to make it achievable for me, which was a ukulele and and simple lyrics yeah <laughs> That's, I was wondering how you got to the ukulele and then I was like wow ukulele I can talk <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I apparently say it wrong I mean Hawaiians get really mad at me because I don't say it like ukulele and I just say it like a very American Californian person ukulele. I was gonna say I probably say it like a Jewish girl from the valley it's fine like oh my god a ukulele <laughs> That makes total sense. So if you played string instruments, that the uke would probably come really, really easy to you and just be like very, very intuitive. It did. I mean, I was forced to play it in music class. So that definitely helped me get a basic fundamental understanding of the instrument. But yeah, I gravitated towards it because it was it was like a mixture of the four stringed instrument. And it was also like a guitar, but my hands are really small because I'm five foot three and I haven't grown since I was 12. <laughs> and so I, I could actually play it physically. So it was a good fit for me yeah if if it makes you feel any better I am barely five feet tall and have not grown since I was 15 I'm you know it does make me feel better (laughs) I was like so you're like you're like the Hulk you're (laughs) (laughs) you know I'm tall in comparison to some people that's all I can ask (laughs) I was like I feel you on this (laughs) it's cool that like I was thinking about what you were talking about, kind of like the origin story of your visuals and then your music. And it's also interesting to me that you inherently thought to share them. Like, and I'm curious if that's, do you feel like that's a personal thing? Do you feel like that's a generational thing? Like, cause I was thinking about other creators that sometimes people will work on things for like years and years, never release them. And you're like, I my stuff, boom. Yeah. I mean, I think honestly, the, the stuff I mentioned earlier about not really thinking anyone was going to see it and my parents obviously not thinking anyone was going to hear it or see it that kind of made it easier because it felt mm-hmm. like I was having content out into an internet void that was going to get sucked up and then 
brought into, you know, all the other millions of things that get posted on a day-to-day basis on the internet. So when I was posting music, I had like 200 followers on SoundCloud. I thought maybe it would get 10 likes and then it would never get past that point of like, oh, wow, people really are gravitating towards this and really want to listen. Yeah. I just never thought that that was ever in the cards for me, even though I was thinking that it would be really cool for that to happen. So, I mean, I don't know if it, I feel like people will, people do bring up that action of of pressing the upload button as like, wow, that's such an act of bravery to talk about, you know, your emotions and post it for people. But I just genuinely didn't think anyone was going to (laughs) listen. I really was in a place where I was like, no one's going to do this. And this is like my form of venting almost was like going on to writing a song and posting it so thinking no one was going to hear it and no one was going to interact with my emotions that I was trying to grapple with yeah that's fascinating that's such an interesting attitude about posting in general because you're right for the most part when we post stuff on the internet it's sort of just like and there it went (laughs) so fickle things go so fast and I guess I thought even after some of my songs blew up I was like this is so temporary. Like, this is not going to last. And I, you know, I can post a song, but I'll probably phase out of relevancy in the next two weeks or whatever. And <laughs> I guess I didn't. Yeah. Surprise. <laughs> <laughs> how did you juggle that with, you know, I was just thinking about this. I was like, how did you juggle all that with school and with like being a person outside of that? I had a hard time juggling with school, honestly. I mean, I was in history class responding to emails from press outlets being like, hey, can we interview you and, and, you know, ask you some questions? And I was trying to focus on my Latin American study class, so (laughs) totally failing to do so. And I eventually got to a point where I took like a five-month hiatus of being a senior in high school, and I was applying to colleges for an architecture degree and and trying to maintain my grades. And I was a goody two-shoes in school, and so like any class where I wasn't doing really well, it was like the severe disappointment in my soul as like- just like a total people pleaser and <laughs> like teachers that I couldn't deal with it. And so I took a five month break where I, I told my audience at the time, I was like, I really need to focus on school and just get through this part of my life. And then I can try and figure out what comes next for me. And it got to this point where I got my decisions back from colleges where I got denied and I got rejected from a handful of schools. And I went and visited the ones that I got into to see if that felt like it was a good fit for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm toying with the idea of a gap year for a while with my parents and, and they were supportive of it if that if as long as I had a job throughout the whole entire thing or as long as I had a plan for myself. Right. And I eventually got to this point where I applied to public public universities and they weren't gonna give me a gap year unless I was going to the army or had some outstanding medical condition and oh my God. they weren't gonna give it to some kid who was like, I think I wanna play ukulele songs for a year and then I'll go <laughs> to school. Like they were not gonna do that at all. So I decided to just, you know put it off and just I was deferred. Be just deferred. And, and, you know, I would have to apply again if I really wanted to do it. My parents were like, okay, you can focus on music, but make sure that it, it if this is actually something that you want to do, you're going to have to dedicate time into it. Like it's an actual job. And if it doesn't work out, you'll apply for colleges and you'll go the next year. And so I was like, okay, I'll take it. And I finally had management reach out to me and I got a legal team and things kind of just progressed from there. But I mean, balancing it with my individual kind of mental health and stuff has been a constant sort of thing that I've been trying to figure out and I've gotten better at it. But I mean, no one is, is a hundred percent great at balancing their, their <laughs> career life with their personal ones. So I'll let you know when I figure that one out. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say in a lot of ways, like I think that everyone is 
it's so funny talking to different artists. People think that, oh, you have to succeed by a certain point or by a certain age, not realizing yeah. if success does find you early, mm-hmm. it can be terrifying and weird and, and like, all sorts yeah. of things. It was so strange. And like, you know, I was the only kid in my entire senior year class that had no plan for college. And I was just going around and I'd be like, oh, you know, where are you going? They'd ask me and I was just like, I'm going to work on music. And they're like, oh, so then where are you going after that? And I was like, I have no idea. Like, trying to figure that out. It was really scary because there were so many unknown variables and, and wanting to also prove myself to a lot of the people that, you know, I loved and, and I wanted to make yeah. sure that music ended up being something that it didn't feel like it was a waste of time for the people that gave me the opportunity to focus on it. Like, I think that was my main thing that I was worried about was just oh. not wanting to waste the people's time around me. And I'm very thankful and I think I wish I would I wish I'd been easier on myself, but I'm very thankful that things did work out. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you hold yourself to a really high standard. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, it sounds like your family has faith in you. And I love what you said about, you know, like basically it's not a ukulele emergency. Um, so they weren't going to let you <laughs> yeah. defer. <Fair> <laughs> But at the same time, it sounds like your parents did see that you really did put the work into this and that you are dedicated to this. Yeah. And regardless of where it takes you, it's still pretty magical that you're like, yeah, I am going to spend my time doing this for right now. Like, this is my life right now. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I understood it in the very least that if it wasn't going to work out, it was going to be an experience that I would learn a lot from. And so that was really a good reminder for myself and I think for my family too, to kind of let go and, and be okay with the fact that I was just going to maybe take a slightly non-traditional pathway. And if that didn't end up right, then I would just go back on the other thing. And I feel really thankful to have family that also allowed me the opportunity to mess up and to be okay with that. And like, I mean, I think their support has meant everything and helping me navigate this whole entire strange world of going into the entertainment industry. And and nobody, nobody in my family ever saw this coming. And, and we definitely didn't know what any of the things meant when they were getting emails from people. And my dad bought this book, everything, you know, everything you need to know about the music industry and was like taking phone calls with me. Their, their support definitely made this whole thing feel a lot less daunting, but yeah, we were all trying to figure it out. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad that you write a lot about mental health and that you're open about the fact that this does impact your mental health. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think anything that requires an individual to give a portion of themselves is, is definitely, you know, it's, it's a tricky territory to navigate when you're trying to, you know, make things for other people, but also wanting to keep a portion of, of you for you at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was reading about Billie Eilish's last tour dates and thinking about just how many dates in a row she was doing. And for anybody that would be intense. And I think about, you know, intense for me when I was 17 was taking a really ill-advised number of APs while still also (laughs) like working on music with my friends and being in school productions and things like that. And I was like, that to me was stressful. So I can't even imagine like the stress of being on tour and having expectations like that. Oh my gosh. I think about that sometimes. And I think, I mean, I don't know what it's like to be stuck in APs or whatever in college or what not liking your dorm roommate is like or something like that. So it's just, it's a different kind of world, obviously. But I mean, yeah, I'm I'm not going to deny the fact it is hard, like being on tour for three months. And I mean, I feel really thankful to work with people that are, are understanding of my mental health and try and work with me on making sure that all of the plans and stuff that I have in the coming year, whatever it may be, 
are set up so that way I can take time for myself and have those spaces to kind of, you know, get back into my brain a little bit more and be more present and, and remind myself that I'm just one person. I think that's been really helpful, (laughs) but I mean, yeah, it's, it's just different. I think like I, I I made a choice to be in this world where I'm, I am doing tour and I am writing music and stuff and I love it, but a job is a job too. So everything has its hard moments and, um, but yeah, it's, it's just a process of navigating and, and trying out things to understand better what you need on an individual level. Yeah. Well, and I like what you said that you have people around you who allow you to make mistakes. Like I think that people feel a lot of pressure to never make mistakes. Yeah. Mistakes are great. They're wonderful, but they're terrifying. Like undeniably so <laughs> scary to make, but you learn so much from them. And I mean, I have made my fair share of them and I continue to do so every single day. And <laughs> I think to be, I mean, like I tell my audience this all the time and I think I'm really good at reminding them and I need to be better about reminding myself, but be kind to yourself. Like don't yeah. just give yourself a break. Sometimes that's all you can do is just to give yourself a break. Oh, yeah. I was thinking, I was, I was curious, what are your top like mental health tips and what do you tell your audience? I mean, I tell them, I think being kind to yourself is probably like the big reminder that I, I tell my listeners and, and try to, you know, repeat to myself, but um, yeah, I don't know. I think my other piece of advice is that it's just a process. Like being mm-hmm. patient is just as important as being easy going on you. And like, everything takes time. And I know as an individual, I get really frustrated with not having the answers in front of me immediately all the time. And I really wish that's how <laughs> things work, but it's just not, it's just not how it works. And that goes where anything with anything, whether it's your job or whether it's your mental health or, or, you know, a family thing or a personal thing or whatever it may be. It just takes time for some things to be resolved and, yeah. um, you know, answers will come, but it might just take a bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that to kind of like thinking about the taking time thing. I think that people underestimate the value of time and space because I think like often when we encounter a problem, we're so uncomfortable with the unknown that we're like, oh my God, I have to fix it right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, as an introvert, even that ideology of like, oh, I need to take time for myself and just take a moment. I think has been important for me as an overachiever to kind of have those two aspects of my personality balance each other out almost like I want to be able to fix everything I want to be able to do everything to the best of my ability all the time and you know just constantly be on so that way I can do everything um but like also I mean I as a person need to have those moments where I just take a second and like breathe because otherwise (laughs) I won't actually be able to do anything effectively in the way that I want to on the overachiever side yeah oh my god of course I don't know yeah (laughs) what are what are your like favorite decompression things I watch TV like there is no tomorrow. My managers ask me all the time for recommendations on Netflix because they don't know how I do it, but I somehow manage to watch nearly every single new show that happens on Netflix. And that's just like, I need a solid three hours at the end of every single day to just sit in my bed, look at a wall or watch a TV show. And then I can feel like I wake up the next morning feeling like a whole being. So watching TV and playing video games is definitely my way of, of saving my sanity. Yeah. That is, I love that, that you give yourself, you're like, okay, this is my time. Goodbye. Everyone. I literally set a timer sometimes. So that way I can be like, okay, I need three hours right now. Just do TV. Oh. <laughs> Do you have any favorite Netflix that you would recommend? I just watched uh, Tiger King, like the Joe Exotic documentary. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh my God, it's wild. I've been talking about it with everyone that I know because <laughs> everyone is watching it. And like, I just, oh my gosh, if you haven't seen it, 
craziest, craziest series of events I've ever witnessed on a TV. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's currently the one that I'm still processing and I finished it three days ago. Yeah. <laughs> that's always the best where like something really sinks in and the more you think about it, you're like, what just happened? It's like a murder, like mystery sort of thing, like, but real events. And so I watched the whole thing and then I was sitting on a couch and like, just thinking about it and you realize all these different things and all these pieces of information you start piecing them together and you feel like a detective watching this whole entire series like trying to figure out what happened and certain things that they don't have answers for so yeah that's been fun for me (laughs) (laughs) that sounds like I I definitely watched the uh the fire festival documentaries on Netflix and Hulu trying to piece together I'm like what actually happened it was done by the same people that did Tiger King actually (gasps) oh my god okay yeah that's fun fact (laughs) (laughs) I was like like, you convinced me (laughs) (laughs) that's my job yeah (laughs) that is too funny so you speak a lot to mental health. I was wondering, you had spoken a bit about your sexual identity, and it's interesting that you share a lot about that. Like, I remember when I was in high school, we definitely had, like, clubs for equality, essentially. So I was part of the Gay Straight Alliance, which mm-hmm. at that time, like, that was the only part of the acronym, which now I'm just like, yeah. wow, that, that was woefully small. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but there weren't really any artists that we had that were that vocal about it. And I was just like, what's that like kind of being a spokesperson in that way? I definitely sometimes struggle with it a little bit. Like bisexuality is something that I'm aware of in my identity, but as a person, I think is something that, you know, I feel a little bit limited on when it comes to talking about my experience and coming to my audience who I know I have so many different people that listen to me that are part of the LGBTQ community and like wanting to be an ally to them. And I can speak on my own experience, but I also know that I have a lot of blind spots when it comes to, you know, wanting to be an ally for them in the best way that I can be. And, and so it is interesting. It's like, I want to make sure that I'm open about that part of my identity, but also I don't want to take space as someone who, uh, you know, I'm, I know that I have a lot of privilege too as a person and I want to make sure that I can give that space to other people who I think are a little bit more um, experienced in being able to talk about issues that face that the LGBTQ community faces. So I don't know. I mean, it's like, I guess it's, it's one of those things where yes, it is part of my identity, but it is something that I think I might not practice talking about online so much because I also know that I, you know, I think that there are people that could speak on it better. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes it's interesting that you said that because I was curious, like, what resources you find to educate yourself because I find Mm -hmm. that if ever I have a blind spot on something, which is often (laughs) because we're all human and learning things every day, um, that, like, I'm always like, oh, well, I'm going to go research that or I'm going to amplify voices that speak better to this. And I was curious if there's any resources that you usually look to. I think, honestly, it's kind of, it's, I am technically one of those people in terms of who I look to, but having other people that are in a public eye who are talking about things, I look to them to hear about their experiences. Or, I mean, I did a Twitch stream the other day where I was talking about being, uh, you know, a mixed race woman of color and being bisexual and even talking with my audience on there on a Twitch format where I had like four, 300 people, I think, that were watching and chatting with me and talking about their own experiences. And just reading those, I think, has been helpful for me because when you're in a role of doing music and and doing all these sorts of things where, you know, oftentimes you're the person in front of the camera, you can be really isolated from what the experience of other people Mm. is like. And so if I can take those moments where I'm doing a Twitch stream and I have a comment section available, or I can, you know, ask on Twitter, you know, could someone educate me on these sorts of things? 
I look to my audience just as much as I might look to a resource online to understand better what they're, where they're coming from. Yeah. And I love that people want to share that with you because then they know most likely that then if you learn that, then you can share it with other people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're all learning. I think that's my whole mindset behind my relationship with my audience. It's very much more like we're peers than anything else. That's amazing. I was actually wondering that like in regards to your audience, are most of the people who listen to you your age? Is it a wide range? Is it like, like, because you've gotten to know them, which is so cool. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, we're definitely like the ages of 13 to 22, I would say is like the major kind of marker. And a lot of people are my age in that middle section. So I mean, when I'm talking to my audience, I'm fully aware that they're just people that are around kind of my experience and, and navigating the same sorts of things that I am. Yeah. That's amazing. And I love that. It's so funny. I'm like such a nerd. I'm just like, I love that the internet brought together (laughs) everyone around you in this really wholesome way. (laughs) I totally agree. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, that's so cool. Um, I also, I remembered that you said that when you applied to school that you were curious about studying architecture. And I was just like, oh, that connects back to all the animation and the visual stuff that you did. Uh, Yeah, I went to an art school in high school. And so I took architecture for three years before I actually, you know, even went to college for it. So I had a focus on it. And I, I mean, I loved architecture. And I've designed a skyscraper with my brother who is now studying architecture. And I'm watching everything that he does on a day to day basis. And I'm like, I could never do that. I'm so glad I didn't actually do that. (laughs) But I mean, I I was going to go to college for architecture because it was the one thing that I felt like maybe I had some experience in and I could I could do in a college environment now looking back on it, I definitely couldn't. I would have switched over to something else. But I mean, yeah, that was what I was comfortable with. And visual arts, it it combined all the different things that I loved into one thing. So I still have an intense love and passion for it still. Yeah. That's fascinating. Wait, so how old is your brother? He's uh, 18. We're only a year apart. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. So you get to see kind of like the alternate path. You're just like, oh. Yes, I know. I'm watching him go through it and I'm like, I could never do that. I could never do what you're doing. And he's like, but I can't do what you're doing. So I guess we're doing the right things. And I was like, yeah, that's a good like, yeah. yeah. that That's a good philosophy. Yes. <laughs> totally. Hey, what do you think you would want to study if like, say in like years from now, you're like, okay, I did the music thing, conquered the comic book world. I want to go back to school. I'm like, what would you want to study? I've actually thought about this a lot. I would do a degree. I would probably get, oh man, a bachelor's in landscape architecture with a focus on marine biology and a sustainable design because I really wish that I had done more around biology and ecology and stuff and and still do that with relationship to design. But yeah, that's that's what I would like to do. (laughs) One of my friends actually studied urban sustainability to do urban planning around a similar thing. Oh, that's amazing. Oh my gosh. Do they like it? She (laughs) loves it. And she actually, she works in the Bay Area. Oh, well, yeah, that would make a lot of sense. (laughs) Because I think that's a really important dovetailing of interest. Like, unfortunately, it's, uh, well, future generations have to clean up after past generations is the situation in which we found ourselves. Oh my gosh. Yes. A hundred percent. I mean, yeah, I definitely, I think there's like, not to get too nerdy into the architecture world, but there's a huge relationship between mental health actually, and like the psychology of buildings and how Mm -hmm. it affects people and the way that we interact with the world, because so much of our experience as people is so shaped by the spaces around us. And so like, my brother is actually, this is what he's studying in his um, major now as a, you know, bachelor's of arts. He's doing 
psychology and architecture together and I would be doing like ecology and how sustainable design and landscape architecture could work together. Basically just making really fucking cool parks is what I would yes. like to do in my mind. Um, but like, I mean, I don't know. I just think like it's such a different way of kind of going back to what my overarching goal with music is. We're having, I'm having a positive impact on people and hopefully, you know, bettering the lives of individuals in whatever way I can. I would love to do that in some other facet with architecture mm. and design and like, you know, making spaces that people want to be in and feel, you know, refreshed when they go into or, you know, to help the environment because man, we really need to do that too. At this point in time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just different ways of kind of looking at that idea of, of helping people and things in the world. Yeah. I think that that's a beautiful idea. And when you were talking about parks, I was wondering, have you heard of the book, How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell? That was actually recently recommended to me. And I think I like, it's on my reading list. I would love to. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I was like, I think you're going to really like that book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She talks a lot about how like uh, the space around this affects us and taking the time to actually enjoy that space and learn about that space. And she writes a lot about like why certain spaces will impact us differently. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's fascinating stuff. Yeah. No, I think that that is something really good to consider because I remember when they started building kind of those like ecologically uh, beneficial and sustainable homes, they were, um, they were frankly really ugly. Yeah. You know, <laughs> one thing I think about, good architecture does not need to be ugly. And you could see that in parking lots. I don't know why. I think about that all the time. Parking lots take up such a massive amount of space. Why don't we make them look pretty? You would love, there's a parking lot at the end of my street that they, um, it has this little riser that moves the cars around, but there's a glass so you can see the cars moving around. It's so cool. Oh my God. I wish I had that. (laughs) It it, it makes me really happy. It's like when you were a kid and you had those like cool little like Lego garages. It's that, but but it's real. Oh my goodness. And I I love kind of like the altruistic streak and what you're doing and what you might want to do in the future. I was like, that's really lovely. And I like that you're giving yourself space to do that in multiple mediums. I've never been someone who knew exactly what she wanted to do. And I think I feel very thankful and very privileged to be in the position where I can think about the possibility of pursuing other things that I really enjoy doing. And like, I don't know, I think I probably won't be satisfied with my life unless I get to dip my toes in many different forms of things. So yeah. I'll try oh, yeah. and do this again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that you're already off to a very good start in that arena. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> I was like, I know you're an overachiever, but you've done good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you can tell an overachiever. <laughs> I was like, I saw a meme that was like, I made my therapist laugh. Did I do therapy good? Do I get an A? That's literally horrible. I tweeted once. I was like, sometimes I test jokes on my therapist and bring them into the larger world after she laughs. (laughs) (laughs) So embarrassing. I feel very called out. (laughs) Like I'm tagged in this photo and I don't like it. (laughs) I am in this. (laughs) Oh God. And that's so funny. Like in, in regards to being an overachiever, like, I'm like, no, I feel that deeply. And a lot of the people on this podcast definitely have felt that way too, where it's like, you know, remembering, like you said, to be kind to yourself, that it's great to achieve all these things. It's great to connect in some ways, but it's also great to take your three hours to stare at the wall slash Netflix. 
A hundred percent. I love staring at a wall. It's favorite pastime. For <laughs> I stared at a tree today. That was, <laughs> that was my mode of relaxation, right? I mean, maybe I should switch it up and stare at a tree later. We'll see. <laughs> it was, it was pretty awesome. It involved a squirrel. Whoa. Right? That's like a new form of entertainment, new peak entertainment. It really was because I, I challenged myself. I went out on my patio where I usually chill out and I was like, you know, I'm going to bring like my breakfast that I made and some coffee, but I'm not going to bring a book. I'm not going to bring my phone. I'm not going to bring anything. I'm just going to see what happens if I just sit on my patio. That's so nice. It's good to take those moments for yourself. It was very chill. The squirrel was masterful. I kept, I was watching it dance on branches and I was just like, it was, a, it's a very well-fed squirrel. And I kept, <laughs> <laughs> I kept being like, oh my God, you're like way more coordinated than me, small creature. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I guess in closing, like what advice would you have for other people who are in a similar position where they have a lot of creative ideas that they want to get out? Bleh. They have a lot of creative ideas they want to get out. They want to help people. Like what, what would you do if you were them? Oh my goodness. Take it a day at a time. I think like with anything, obviously I mentioned earlier, but everything's a process. And if you're creative and you want to do many different things, I don't think you should ever sacrifice that vision, but be patient with yourself and trying to do all those different things and, and understand, you know, it probably will be really tough to do all those things to the absolute peak ability of what you wish you could do them. So, I mean, all the things I already said, just to echo the sentiment, be patient, be kind. And, you know, you know yourself better than anyone. And if something is something, if something is exciting for you to think about doing, you should absolutely go for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that. Like go for, go for the things that excite you. And what you said, I think is really important that it's like, sometimes it's better to just do the thing instead of do it excellently every single time. Yeah. Just get it done. Like it's, all you <laughs> it's almost like aiming for like good enough. Yeah. That, oh my gosh. I think about that all the time. Good enough is good. It's yeah. good. And that's enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you got there. You did the thing. <laughs> Pat on the back, yeah. Uh, I was thinking about what you said of like trying to answer like press emails in history class. I was like, oh my God. It was uh, so stressful. I was just like sitting there typing away like a mad woman in the middle of a lecture and, and yeah. Oh my like, God. Your teacher was like, wow, she's really taking a lot of notes. You know, he, is, he is my favorite teacher from that school and I still am in touch with him. And he actually was one of the first teachers that was aware I did music in the background of school and he was very supportive. Oh, <laughs> that is so sweet. I was like, I love that. And I love that. I think it is good advice for the people listening that it's like that you also respected yourself enough to be like, okay, I'm going to take a pause from this whole school thing. And also when you were in school that you were like, I'm going to take a pause from all of the music. You can't do it all, unfortunately, but <laughs> you can't try. <laughs> you can't try. Right. You can, you can do most of it. <laughs> but if you can't do all of it, that's not a bad thing either. Yeah. Right. Or at the very least, you can't do all of it at the same time. Yes. Just do yeah. it at whatever pace that works well for you. Yeah. Oh, well, I love that. Thank you so much for, for spending your time with me. I was just like, that makes me very happy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for allowing me to spend the time with you. Yeah. This of has course. been really fun.
Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of Why Not Both? If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, both on Instagram and Twitter. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine and website. You can find them at www.undertheradarmag.com and feel free to support them on Patreon. Extra special thanks to our producer, Laura Studeris, who has been absolutely amazing. Thank you again, and I look forward to next week's episode. (laughs) 